All right, so we are back in Bible Braced, Bible Study Lesson 32, as we go through our Gospel of John study. So again, if you have not listened to Intro to Bible Study, it is linked in our show notes. Please do so, and then go ahead and listen to Lessons 1 through 31, and that will bring you up to date with where we're at. Last episode, we were dealing with the unbelief of those in Galilee and Jesus going there from Samaria, and then the signs that were being done and that Jesus is really saddened, it looks like, over their unbelief and that they just want to see signs. And um, the official son comes from Capernaum to Cana and Jesus does heal his son. And then it says him and his whole household believe. And so that is really interesting, especially in light of them being a royal official, most likely in the court of Herod, that they would have had quite a position of power and prominence. It's kind of interesting to see that. And this is another side note, but Herod is part of the trial of Jesus and he's involved in that. And so it's interesting to think of members of his court potentially being there even for the trial of Jesus, members who potentially were believing maybe this official was there. Could be he wasn't. I mean, they're in Capernaum right now and that's where his family is and everything. It could be that he was in Capernaum at the trial of Jesus, but it's kind of interesting to think through those things and to see other characters that we might not think about that really lived and were really a part of these machinations (laughs) and that were involved in the life of ministry of Jesus on the periphery. So let me see. I I have a breakdown of all the different gospels and where they interact in different aspects of the ministry of Jesus. Let me see if the other gospels are coming into play yet. So the healing, the official son is only in the gospel of John. And remember, we keep having these long, silent periods on the part of the other gospels where only John is telling us things that happened in the timeline. And then sometimes the other gospels will pop up for one instance that John covers, or they'll pop up and give something that John doesn't cover. And then it'll be John again for a while. And so in this situation, after Jesus heals the official son, it's believed that this next phase of the ministry of Jesus is only covered by Luke. We're actually going to be going into other gospels to fill in some of the pieces here between the healing of the official son that happens in John 4, 46 through 54, and then Jesus going to Jerusalem for another feast, which happens in John 5, 1. So quite a bit of ministry takes place in between these two occurrences. And we're going to study some of that chronologically, and we're going to go into other Gospels to see that, just so we have a full picture of the ministry of Jesus as we get back into John in the future, and we'll know what's happened so we can understand better his response to things. So we'll go first to um, the next passage that we believe comes after him healing the official son is Luke. And that would be Luke 4, 16 through 30. It's when he comes back into the region of Nazareth and is rejected in Nazareth. So let's go to Luke 4, 16 through 30 real quick. This is before he goes back to Jerusalem for another feast. So Luke 4, 16 through 30. And this passage says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And according to his custom, he entered into the synagogue on the day of the Sabbath and stood up to read. So this is him coming to Nazareth after he's healed the official's son. He's left Cana and he's gone to Nazareth. And this is the town he was brought up in. And he entered into the synagogue on the day of the Sabbath and stood up to read. 
Verse 17 says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. Verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because of which he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to send out in freedom those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were looking intently at him. You know, it's interesting about this passage. I remember someone preaching on it one time and saying that this passage of Isaiah, it's typically read through longer than what Jesus reads through, like he left some verses off. So I have a little hi- uh, little eye here, hyperlink on my Lexham English Bible. I'm clicking on it. This is a quotation from Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, with one line from 58, 6. So let's, Isaiah 61, 1 through 2 is a hyperlink. Let me click on that and it's going to take, it's going to pop up that verse and this says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives and liberation to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of Yahweh's favor and our God's day of vengeance, to comfort all those in mourning. And Jesus says, finger to those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Let me pull that verse up again here and see the favorable year of the Lord. And then the rest of the passages and our God's day of vengeance. And then it says to comfort all those in mourning. And so it's significant that Jesus left off the part about vengeance because right now he's coming and he's offering himself to Israel. And that's why he's leaving off that aspect of the prophecy, even though it's going to happen. It's like not why he's here right now for his earthly ministry. He will come back. Now that he's been to earth and has offered himself and has died for the sins of the world, when he comes back again, it will be with vengeance. It will be to take out his plan and his judgment, his righteous judgment on the earth. And so it wasn't that time yet. Let's go to Luke 4 and see if MacArthur has a better footnote for this section than I am remembering from my limited ability. So verse Chapter 4, verse 19, the footnote says, The passage Christ read was Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. He stopped in the middle of verse 2. The rest of the verse prophesies judgment and the day of God's vengeance. Since that part of the verse pertains to the second coming, he did not read it. That's interesting. So what's what's cool here, too, is that that was kind of like stopping something in the middle of a sentence and then sitting down. And so all all the eyes of the synagogue are looking on him, right? And so it says here, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were looking intently at him. They're probably like, why did you stop in the middle of this sentence? And he began to say to them, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now he's telling them that this prophecy regarding the one who's anointed to come and proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to send out in freedom those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He's saying, I am the answer to this prophecy. And that's significant, right? And verse 22 says, and they were all speaking well of him and were astonished at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they were saying, is this man not the son of Joseph? Again, that's the problem is when everyone knows your family, right? (laughs) They don't know that he's God and, you know, that he was sent incarnate 
into the womb of Mary to be born of man. They're just thinking, oh, he's just a human. And he said to them, doubtless, you will tell me this parable. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. Well, what took place in Capernaum? We were just reading about that, right? That he healed someone and saved them from death. And he said, truly, I say to you that no prophet is acceptable in his own hometown. But in truth, I say to you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut for three years and six months while the great famine took place over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was made clean except Naaman the Syrian. Now, what is so interesting about this passage is the people are like amazed at the gracious words Jesus is saying. But again, they're like being nice, right? There's like a weird pleasantness to this interaction in the synagogue where everyone's like, oh, we like you. <laughs> you know? And then Jesus, knowing their hearts, is like, he knows that they're waiting for him to do something spectacular, to do some sign like they heard he did in Capernaum because they're like, well, you know, surely you do something even more exciting in your own hometown, right? And Jesus is saying like, hey, you know, there are aspects to the work of God that are not predictable. And you guys are not, I mean, it seems like out of pride, really, they're saying, oh, we expect even better because it's your hometown kind of a thing. Like, you can see that feeling here. And Jesus, like, is pretty hard hitting with them. Let's go to Luke 4 again and see what our study Bible has to say about this passage, because I'm sure that Pastor John has something to say here. Chapter 4. Okay, so chapter 4, 20, verses 25 through 27 say, But the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17, 8 through 24, and Naaman, the Syrian in 2 Kings 5, were Gentiles. Both lived during times of widespread unbelief in Israel. Jesus' point was that God bypassed all the widows and lepers in Israel, yet showed grace to two Gentiles. God's concern for Gentiles and outcasts is one of the thematic trends that runs through Luke's gospel, which is touching because Luke is a Gentile. So maybe those things stuck out more to him than they would to a Jew. Um, They're filled with wrath in verse 28. It says, and all those in the synagogue were filled with anger when they heard these things. And the footnote for that says, this is Luke's first mention of hostile opposition to Christ's ministry. What seems to have sparked the Nazarene's fury was Christ's suggestion that divine grace might be withheld from them, yet extended to Gentiles. <laughs> yeah, I could see them being upset by that. But at the same time, it's like, well, guys, what are you doing? You know, you're just sitting back in judgment waiting for waiting for him to like throw a circus act for you. I mean, good grief. And you haven't even paid the fare to come and watch. <laughs> like, I tell you, we're incredible as humans, aren't we? Just how egotistical and privileged and just how we expect whatever we think we deserve in this scenario here. They they want the God of everything, the God of the universe to perform tricks for them so they can believe in him. Oh my goodness. And they were filled with anger when they heard these things. Verse 28, verse 29, and they stood up and forced him out of the town and brought him to the edge of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Oh my goodness. His hometown is getting up angry enough at what he says to push him out of town and to force him to the edge of a cliff so they could throw him down. 
They want to murder him for what he has said. And they probably think they're doing the will of God by doing this. Like, as you see, many say later as they oppose Jesus. Verse 30 says, but he passed through their midst and went on his way. I love that because they obviously have no power over the life of Jesus. And he decides when he lays it down, he is God. And in this scenario, they are angry and they are angry enough to kill him. Yet it wasn't his time to die. And so he passes through their midst and goes on his way. (laughs) And he does what he wants. And no one can stop his hand or say to him, what are you doing? That passage from the Old Testament that I think about all the time. Okay, so this rejection at Nazareth is pretty significant. And so after that, Jesus moves into Capernaum. Okay, so we have covered quite a bit of territory, and we still have lots of other miraculous things that happened before we go into Jerusalem again in John 5. So we'll be spending our next several lessons and these other passages in the other Gospels, getting a better picture of this part of the ministry of Jesus this season and what's occurred. Um, But so far in the timeline, quite a lot has happened in probably a very short period of time. But then also remembering that Jesus, his ministry on earth was only about three years. And so a lot happens in that time period. So we will get into this more in next week's study, but I hope you guys have a great week and enjoy serving the Lord and that this time in the word will be a blessing and encouragement to you as we learn more about him. Love you guys.